free Brooklyn.
Good morning. Welcome to Crime Talk BK. This is Joanna Perpich along with Megan Duffy. Megan, are you here? I'm here, girl. Can you got me? Yes. Coming in loud and clear on this sunny, gorgeous day. I know. All my windows are wide open, so if you hear the train in the background, my apologies. It's like, what, like 60 or something? It's crazy. January. Um, I know. It's a nice day for that no-pants subway ride. Oh, is that today? Mm-hmm. Well, gonna, I'm wearing a dress, so I technically do not have any pants. Uh, we're going to uh, go to Central Park <laughs> this morning, or this afternoon, I guess. So uh, You'll probably see some of that, whatever that is. I don't what what is the know. history behind that? Last year I rode yeah, last year I rode home from the station that day. It was a very cold day. I just don't understand. I just okay. don't understand. So I have some information for everyone on the No Pants Subway Ride. It is an annual event um hosted by Improv Every- Everywhere in January and um I think it's just to be silly. So the thing that uh, they really want is they say on their website, the idea behind no pants is simple. Random passengers board a subway car at separate stops in the middle of winter without pants. The participants behave as if they do not know each other and they all wear winter coats, hats, scarves, and gloves. The only unusual thing is their lack of pants. This is literally just to sow chaos. Hmm. My call is breaking up. Is it? Yeah, let me call you back. Okay, I'll keep talking about subway ride. Okay, you keep talking. I'll call you back. And, all right, so Megan's gone for the moment. Uh, We're going to be getting some real interesting trivia facts if I do this uh, show by myself. Uh, Let me see. The uh, first no-pants subway ride. Uh, Megan, you're here. Yep, I'm here. Is this better? Much better. I'm getting this weird feedback. Do you have me playing, uh, like, on your computer, like, out loud? I'm not even sitting in front of my computer at the moment. Weird. It's like I can hear um, my echo on your end. Eh, whatever. I'll ignore it. I love hearing myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the first um, – oh, no, this is the fifth annual subway ride. I'm trying to find the first one. So the first subway ride included seven participants – all were male. Um, let me see. Of course. Of I, course. <laughs> they're wearing boxers, though. It's not too terrible. Okay. And then uh, they pretended not to notice each other. And if asked, they said that they just forgot their pants. And then at the 8th Avenue stop, I think that they were on the L, someone with a duffel bag popped up and were selling pants for a dollar. Uh, of course. <laughs> That's such a New York thing. So it's like when it rains and all of a sudden those guys show up with all his umbrellas. I know that's kind of uh, brilliant, I think. Mm. So uh, if you see anyone doing no pants, it's part of his improv group or who knows, maybe just like random strangers who've decided to uh, get in on this truly weird New York tradition. It's strange. well, I think the strangest part is that it's in January. I know, but it's kind of delicious. Like, I really love, like, going on the sub because I always forget. And I'm just like, oh, they're doing that thing this year. <laughs> um, I, it's 
hard to forget because it's all over. Like when you're doing research for the show, it's all over the internet, the local internet pages. I know. I'm impressed. Oh, I just have to yawn. Oh, God. That was a big one. I'm just uh, yeah, a little impressed with myself that I didn't come across any of it. Um, but for any of our listeners, have you participated in a no pants event? Um, it, I should rephrase this. Um, a, a public no pants event. <laughs> Fair. Uh, we don't want to hear some of your uh, intimate stories on this show. No, thank you. Um, yeah, walking around your house without pants on does not count. Please call into our show. Oh, no, you can't call in because Megan's on the line. Sorry, too bad. You'll have to, like, post on our Facebook page your no-pants stories. Post on our Facebook or social media or send us an email. I want to hear your sto- weird stories about it. Come to our studio of 100 Bogart, but you only have an hour to get here, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, five minutes before the show ends. It's, like, the entire improv troupe just, like, floods the studio. <laughs> Tom would love that. Be anyway. <laughs> um... Let me see. We also have to do announcements. I'm like running behind schedule. Um, ah, sorry. So uh, this year we're doing. Right now. I don't know. It's like I'm on Wi-Fi calling, so it shouldn't be. Do you? I know this sounds crazy, but do you have a home phone line? (laughs) Landlines are great for this. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, if you just have to, like, call in um, again, I'm just going to keep going with the show. Um, I see if the light's on or not, so feel free to do what you need to do. Okay. Um, I'm, here for, I'm here for now. Okay, cool. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn's Drive to Five fundraiser campaign is underway in May. Radio Free Brooklyn, our wonderful radio station, will turn five years old, and we are trying to raise... $25,000 so that we can continue to bring you commercial-free independent radio for another five years. Um, that said, we have a keen sense of fun here at Radio Free Brooklyn. And so just as a way to um, get everybody a little bit more involved, uh, we are doing these cool, kind of weird, maybe um, interesting challenges um, through our website. And that is... RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. No, sorry, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. I don't know what happened with that. I we definitely are a nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, too. Yeah. Uh, it's like all of our listeners are just like shaking their fists in the air, just being like, "This is why I can never listen to my donate to." <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Anyway, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. It's in front of me, and we actually have this really cool uh, trivia this month uh, with. Prizes. So please uh, go to our website and fi- see how well you know Radio Free Brooklyn and our history. Um, and because we love our viewers, I'm going to give away one of the answers. Oh. I think. I actually haven't taken the quiz. I'm interested to see how many answers I get right. I have pet Tom Tenney's cat, so I think I should get a plus one. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll, bonus give you, I'll give you a plus five for that. Yeah, well, I That's think he has a couple. Station manager. Mm-hmm. Tom Tenney is the reason why Radio Free Brooklyn lives and breathes. Um, yeah, so the uh, question that was, uh, it was like, where was Radio Free Brooklyn originally held? It was in the I, basement of a bike shop. Yep, it's the only one I know. 
<laughs> anyway, apparently a bunch of uh, people thought they were going to be like a uh, victim to a serial killer. Like when they were guests yeah. back in the day. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not unheard of. <laughs> uh, but one more thing that we're doing that we're kind of excited about is uh, we've set it up so that you can leave us a message wishing us happy birthday, telling us why you love Radio Free Brooklyn. And we are playing these messages on air. So if you want to leave a super fun message, uh, please dial 718-673-8201. Again, that is 718-673-8201. Woo. (laughs) I'm exhausted. Yeah, so let's go with the program. Megan, what do you have for us today? Uh, I've got, well, Weinstein's trial opened up this week, and there's some news on Jeffrey Epstein's, the videotape that was supposed to be, oh, we lost it, we can't find it, oh, never mind, we found it, videotape, and there's a big update on what you had originally covered, the Jennifer Dulos missing mother. Uh, and I have some impeachment tea, and I think that's it. It's a lot, though. There's a lot going on. Yeah. You? I definitely have some uh, Dulos stuff, such a crazy case. Uh, and then I'm on, like, this MTA kick, which I guess is going into the um, No Pants tribute at the top of our show. Um mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I just feel kind of like uh, the MTA has single-handedly ruined my life, and now I have to <laughs> share the turmoil yeah. with others. Uh, yeah, so I have some news on that. And some of it's just not even crime-related. It just makes me want to throw my computer out of a window. So I thought it would be appropriate for the show. We also have uh, some news on this uh person who's going around uh, beating up random women who got uh, released under the new bail reform. And uh, I've been covering oh. the bail reform uh, pretty thoroughly. And so I think it is important. Like, I definitely do think that the bail reform is necessary. Uh, but we right. do have to, you know, keep in mind that we're some of the people being covered are people who, I don't know, sucker punch women. Uh, you know, that happened to my sister. It wasn't on the subway, but it did happen to my sister a while back on her block. Yeah. So, and, you know, nothing's been, nothing's come of it. So, yeah, um, it, 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 uh, I have deep concerns about this. Not, not, not about bail reform, but how they're managing it, you know? Well, I think one thing that's so important to keep in mind is that when we talk about uh, the cr- criminal justice reform, we are still talking about crime. Right. So it's, I think a good thing to keep in mind, even though it's uncomfortable, you know, we can't ignore it. And then I have some news on uh, Mike Bloomberg's presidential run. Right. Oh, uh, I, I heard the despair in your voice when I brought, <laughs> brought up his name. <laughs> You're just like, oh, that guy. That guy, I feel like I feel like that often with a lot of people. It's just I, you know, 
I just like want to cry. Like I want to like talk to him per in person and just be like, "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. But anyway, so uh, why don't we start with some of your stuff? Um, what what's, what what do you think should be first on the docket? Let me just get Epstein out of the way because it's shorter. Okay. Okay. So let's see, be scrolling through my notes. Beep beep beep. Okay. So. Uh, the surveillance footage that was captured outside of Epstein's cell during his first suicide attempt in July is now gone forever. Of course. <laughs> oh, yes. So the revelation comes after U.S. Assistant District Attorney Jason Swergold told the federal judge in December that the footage was missed. Remember that whole back mm-hmm. missing? No, it's not missing. We found it. It's fine. Well, this he's like, no, wait, Thursday, actually, huh? He's like, no, wait, actually it is missing. Don't well, have it. No, it's not. Yeah. So, so Swirgold admitted to the, that the MCC had preserved the footage during the investigation, but it was the wrong cell. Oh, my God. Yeah. They inadvertently preserved video from the wrong tier. Not just the wrong cell, but the wrong tier within the MCC. So the video outside Epstein's cell no longer exists. And we know this because the lawyer for his one-time cellmate, Nicholas Tartaglioni, has been asking to see the footage in order to prove that his client didn't actually assault Epstein during their mutual incarceration. <laughs> and it isn't responsible for the neck injuries Epstein sustained while they shared the cell. Um, and the MCC is claiming that the staff were, quote, misled by a computer system that wrongly listed Tartaglioni as being housed in a different cell. Now, I don't know how they were misled by a computer system because that information is put in by human beings. Right? I mean, I feel like it's charitable to say that they're just so incompetent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... (laughs) I'm literally speechless. And to make matters worse, their MCC's backup system isn't properly working. Mm. Meaning the video is gone forever. <sighs> yeah. I mean, this whole thing just reeks of fucking incompetence. And maybe conspiracy? Like, it's so hard I for mean, me to tell. It's hard to tell, right? Like, we didn't want to believe in, because I don't like to believe in conspiracy theories, but here we are talking about Epstein and his fucking sex trafficking, and it's actually true. Yeah. So what else is true? I mean, sometimes conspiracy theories are there for a reason, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, smoke fire, right? But, like, also, I think it's, like, important to keep in mind that this if this is incompetence, then this is incompetence that every single person who's gone through that jail has experienced. Yes. You know? Yes. I think that's like... big problem. That's like what really gets to me. 
And it's like, I think a lot of people aren't talking about that part. It's like Jeffrey Epstein is high profile enough that we care that these tapes are missing. But like, what about other people who just like mysteriously like drop bit, drop dead in jail who aren't, you know, like on the news every day, you know? Right. Like all those inmates that are claiming all of this, you know, all of the bullshit and the misconduct and the abuse and the all that stuff. It's probably true. Yeah, for sure. This leads us into your bail reform. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, this is, this really, I mean, I've never been so flabbergasted in how this is so, like, this whole thing has been so mishandled, managed, and executed. It's like, come on, people. Yeah, and it's also kind of like if this is how they're handling their like high profile cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whatever Al Tapa was telling us about the MCC, also true. Right? Yeah. Like we have to make those we have to make those suppositions. For sure. Um Christ. Well, on that note, I think I would like to talk a little bit about the bail reform because I think that we're also really it. seeing why the reform's important. You know, so basically, like in New York, we have like a couple of different jails. Rikers, for example, is, I think, one of our more famous, infamous ones, I should say. And uh, people who. Well, I guess Jeffrey Epstein couldn't post bail because he was considered a flight risk. But there's also a ton of people who are just plain poor who can't afford it. And uh, then like the bail industry itself, when you um, post these bail bonds, they're also very exploitive and quite dangerous. For people. I know. Yeah. I had to, it's a minor charge, but I had to go and post bail for a friend of mine. And it's basically like, they were going to come and arrest me if he didn't show up for jail. Yeah. Or his hearings. And also, like, the hearing system itself, like, the notification is wild. Like, I've read about people who are getting their uh, summonses. Two apartments that they lived in like five years ago, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's like crazy, like stuff isn't even being sent. So, I mean, there's like so many um, parts of the system that is broken. And so, you know, like people should not be in jail unless they really have to be in jail because innocent until proven guilty, people in jail have not been tried. And then you have stuff like Jeffrey Epstein. It's like, okay, well, if he was able to kill himself, drop dead. I don't really know what happened, but like without any footage, without any of the guards checking on him, even though he's on suicide watch, there's like so many things that went wrong in this case. That's happening to like literally every single person in jail is being like overseen by these truly incompetent, like dumbasses. Yeah. You know, Uh, so it's definitely like the idea of these bond reforms is to give people more options so that uh, the only folks who are going to be in jail for this like longer period of time are people who really have to be there. Um, I I think the only people that need to stay in there are the violent, really violent senders. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, but what this bail reform does is it says like you can't like if it's like a misdemeanor or some felonies, um, you're able to um, like you won't have bail you can just be 
part of the general population um, as long as you show up to your court hearings. Um, so right. this one man, Eugene, Eugene Webb, uh, he was in jail for randomly punching a 23-year-old woman in the face around 6 a.m. in uh, Greenwich Village. He knocked one of her teeth out. Uh, he, oh, God. Yeah. And then later that evening, around 7, he uh, punched another woman at uh, the Grand Central Terminal. And so he was arrested, brought in front of a judge. And uh, let me see. At the arraignment, the uh, Manhattan um, assistant district attorney uh, asked him to be held for a $10,000 cash bail uh, because he had a similar like assault charges uh, in September, uh, but he never showed up to that court date in October. Oh, he never showed up. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Judge Ann Thompson, uh, she charged him with uh, misdemeanors and uh, decided on a supervised release. And so we'll just have to see how this goes, I guess. I, like, if he commits any violence between now and his trial or plea or whatever he takes. Um, well, if he shows up again, you know, that's another thing. But, you know, another thing, too, is this sounds like there's some mental illness there that's not being addressed. Yeah, I think that he was homeless. Don't quote me on that, but my impression was was that he's definitely, like, not in the best place. Right. Yeah, so it's hard to tell. And I saw online, just real quick, uh, that there was another person, like, who was also, like, homeless psychiatric issues who uh, got released without bail under this similar reform. And uh, was also, like, a serial offender. And when they showed up um, to court again for, like, another arraignment, uh, the judge uh, committed them for psychiatric help. So. Well. I mean. Okay. No, I mean, it's good. Like, I, I definitely think that I would consider this to be working if Eugene Webb, the serial slugger, if he does not do anything again until his court date, that will be a success to me. And then also, mm-hmm. I think it's a success if when people do, like, land back in front of these judges, if the judges are looking for alternatives to jail that, like, address the underlying problem. So, for example, the person who's being sent for psych- psychiatric care probably should also not be in jail. They need something else. So. Megan, are you there? Hang on. Moving into another room. Is is this the oh I hear like the train and sirens. Yeah, this I'm is sorry. the flavor of the city just seeping through into our podcast. <laughs> Subways. Oh, we need are yeah. some like cats like meowing in the in the background. Don't be careful what you wish for. It could happen. Because, <laughs> you know, the usual morning chaos. I was on a phone interview at work with someone. Uh, um, this was like a few jobs ago. And I was interviewing like this police officer for a show that I was doing. And the police officer is like, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? Because he hears all these sirens in the background. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I just live in New York. But I appreciate that like Arkansas sheriff wants to like help me out, make sure I'm okay. That's so sweet. Bless his heart. He was really sweet. 
It's like my great pleasure in talking to like retired police officers. Like a lot of them are just really adorable. So They're anyway, really sweet. Yeah, they are very sweet. Um. Oh, have you seen Watchmen? Are you watching that? No, people have been telling me to watch it, and this is what I do when people tell me to watch it. I put it on my list, and then I watch it like three years later. Oh, it'll still be good three years later. <laughs> just, I don't know why I am such a stubborn curmudgeon when it comes to recommendations, but I just it's just the way I am. I don't oh, know why. I totally understand. And and then I forget that people have recommended it, and then I go to like back to my sister three years later. I'm like, "Did you watch this?" And she's like, "Shut up, bitch! <laughs> I've been telling you to watch this for three years." I'm like, okay. So the reason yeah. why I bring up Watchmen is it's kind of like an um, alternate universe where uh, it starts with these race riots. Well, more like a slaughter in uh, Tulsa, mm-hmm. and it's like when you watch it, like my uh, friend. Uh, from Houston was talking to me about it and he was saying that they were watching it and it almost felt unbelievable how just horribly violent it was. And then they looked it up online and turns out it was all true. But I kid you not, like the KKK got like helicopters and were shooting black people just like in the street. Like they just like went through and like massacred like every black person in this um, one neighborhood in Tulsa. And so that's where the show like starts. (laughs) Okay. And but it's Shit. about this uh, police force that are fighting against these white supremacist terrorists in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really uh, like interesting because the police are um, formed from this community that is rooted in like this like horrible oppression that the black people in this neighborhood were experiencing. And so it's, it almost feels like the reverse of like the police brutality that we see today, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so it was like kind of weird for me watching a show where the police are the heroes. God, that sounds so bad when I say it like that. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, I get it because, you know, the only, the only, Show that I watch for the police or the heroes is like is uh, some sort of uh, Law and Order SVU. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't watch a lot of those cop shows. But it's like I unless, think that. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, it's okay. Unless they're of course British serials, and then and then you know. Yeah. I've seen them all like nine times, but. I guess, yeah. like, what I took from Watchmen is is that, okay, so, like, I don't want to live in, like, the Watchmen society. It is, like, terrible. Um, it's very dystopic. But it did kind of show me, it's like, oh, well, you know, like, this is what the police force, if they chose to, could be fighting for. And I thought that was very powerful and very hopeful, too. Right. So, everyone should watch it. <laughs> I want to talk to more people about it. It is very heavy. Um, it's on my, I don't mind heavy. It's just, it didn't. I guess no one really described it the way you just described it to me before. So everybody's like, you should just watch it. You'll like it. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything to me because <laughs> you've been wrong before. I- no, it was like I was trying to crochet during it and I just stopped because I was just so engrossed. And I like don't do that okay. with TV shows. Okay. But, um. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to like go off on this tangent, but just like. 
thinking a lot about like criminal justice and about like policing competence and everything, you know, I mean, like it doesn't have to be this way. No, it doesn't. Um, so how's Harvey Weinstein doing? Was he on your list of updates? Uh, Harvey's trial started on Monday with pretrial hearings and uh, the voir dire, the jury selection started on Tuesday. But Harvey didn't start out so great. He, uh, he was threatened with jail by the judge for using his cell phone in court repeatedly. Mm. Now, so, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, when you go into the federal courthouse, you have to sign a piece of paper and the judge has to so order who gets to bring their cell phones in. Mm-hmm. Physically, it's just the attorneys. I'm sure, so Weinstein was on that list too, but you have to keep it basically on silent and you're, you're really not even supposed to use it if you're sitting at the front table mm-hmm. as the defendant or the representative attorneys. Usually it's just like the, you know, the first year associates or the paralegals sitting in the gallery that get to use their cell phones, um, or lap and or laptops. Yeah. So, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the presiding judge, James Burke, uh, completely admonished Harvey for his repeated cell phone use in the courtroom on Monday, like the, like within an hour of this whole thing starting before they could even get to their oral arguments and, and pretrial stuff. And he, he basically said, is this how you really want to go to jail for the rest of your life? Harvey <laughs> and his attorneys. Um, He's been repeatedly warned not to use a cell phone. I don't know why Harvey can't seem to put it down. It seems like this is a more important thing to address uh, when you're on trial, a criminal trial for your life, your basic freedoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So that happened. Uh, He did threaten to lock up Harvey. Ultimately, he didn't. Um, This also comes after Harvey repeatedly fucked with his ankle monitor saying it wasn't intentional. I didn't know how to use it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, oh, and as a result of that, his bail was increased to a $2 million bond following his uh, violations of the ankle monitor. So, um, he's, you know, he's still using the walker to get in and out of the courthouse. He says that was because of, uh, he had some back surgery that he had. And then he did a, uh, while he was recovering from that, he did an interview with New York magazine, which <laughs> was a really bad decision. Um, and then there was arguments about evidentiary stuff. Apparently there's a lot of, uh, there's like 70 something humiliating photos of Harvey that, uh, his defense lawyers are trying to get excluded from the trial. Prosecution says that they're, uh, uh, they're relevant and, um, both sides have asked the judge to do an in-camera review, which, um, for those listeners who don't know what that means, the judge will look at it in chambers alone and decide, uh, whether they're relevant or not, which it's not unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Weinstein's lawyers have also asked that the judge sequester the jury, uh, which, if you could imagine, is probably going to go on as long as the OJ trial. It, it will with all the witnesses and there's going to be a lot of contentious motions going on and the evidence and blah, blah, blah. The judge denied the request to sequester the jury. I'm sure all the potential juries were happy to hear that. Yeah, that just sounds like a horrible... I don't really agree with that practice. I don't either. I mean, you know, granted, with the new... Like, the news at your fingertips cell phone problem... um, it, it could be, it could be, like, we've talked about the jury tampering and jury problems last year, but, like, it's, to sequester them is so, A, it's expensive for, for the court, right? It's expensive. Mm-hmm. And B, it's, it's such a hardship on the jurors themselves, right? They yeah. can't go home, they can't make phone calls, they like every their every movement is monitored. Well, it's also eat, I feel like read. sorry. No, go ahead. Go it's ahead. unrealistic at this point to think that you're going to find a truly unbiased Well, I think we need to change what we think of when we say the word unbiased jury because like I don't know if I would ever be able to serve on a jury for anything because I just compulsively read the news. You know, like, I think it would be very difficult to find people who aren't aware or don't have any sort of preconceived idea of um, some of these, like, high-profile crimes. You know, it's like... Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. But I also think that, you know, I like to think that if I was... No one will put me on a jury because I'm... So, I've... Work in law. Yeah, essentially. Um, But I would like to think that if I was on the jury, that even if I have preconceived notions, I could, my mind could be changed if the evidence supported one side or, you know. Yeah. If if the evidence didn't support the crime, then I would be open to an acquittal. Yeah, but we're going to have to really change. uh, We're going to have to, like, trust the jurors more, I think, and just really kind of be like, you're here to do the system justice. Here's the rules. Play the game. You know? Right. Because, like, we're not going to find, like, these perfect jurors anymore. And I think the O.J. Simpson trial really showed the possible even actual harm. You know? It's like, um... I, I think know. Those that... people were sequestered. They were, A, they were sequestered, but also that... that in you know, in my mind was like a, a we're gonna do uh we're gonna our verdict there was apparently in their minds was just just enough doubt for them to acquit OJ, but this was also a reflection on the nineties and the LAPD, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily entirely about OJ. Well, and I also think that the jurors had, like, a good reason to try to come to a verdict quickly. Yeah. At that point. Like, it had been, like, honest to God, you know, it's kind of like these jurors are in a hotel room for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks. It's like, I would probably say, like, anything to get out of there, whether I believed, like, I don't think I would have the, uh, the umph (laughs) 
to be able to, um, you know, like look at all the evidence and make an informed decision. It's slightly coercive, I it think. Is. So anyway, it is okay. So on that note, uh, in LA on Tuesday, uh, the Los Angeles District Attorney filed charges and a criminal complaint against Harvey Weinstein. This mm-hmm. is why the, well, first of all, uh, Harvey's attorney has asked that there be a delay in the proceeding because of the charges in Los Angeles. The judge denied that. Um, so the charges against Harvey in LA, one felony count of uh, are two felony counts of forcible rape, two felony counts of forcible oral copulation, two felony counts of sexual penetration by use of force, and sexual battery by restraint. There are two women who have come forward that have not had their cases uh, voided out by the Statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, right. Also, uh, Harvey's attorneys have asked that the judge in New York recuse himself for the admonishment of the cell phone use, which <sighs> is probably not going to happen. But that's this is you know it's just a it's a it's just a window into what we're going to be dealing with. Harvey's he's you know he's got millions of dollars. It's going to be his attorneys are going to make a motion or a complaint. Just fight it at every turn. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to go on for months and months and months and months and months. I guess he gives us something to talk about. Yes. Something else that's been going on for months and months and months is Otis Dulos. (laughs) Oh, girl. I know, it's so crazy. All right, so what are we talking about? Jennifer Dulos uh, was murdered. Um, May last year, she disappeared. And um, what was it? It's like she was... Nobody's been found, but yes, let's just say she was murdered. And she was, what, like a school teacher or something? Or... Uh, I just make that up? But uh, you just have, like, this woman from Long Island. She is said to have been just, like, very sweet. She's a mom. Or, sorry, she's from Connecticut. Connecticut. And um, they were going through, like, a kind of like the beginnings of a divorce, I think. And her husband, Fotis Dulos, just kind of snapped. And so we've been following the story. Um, it is kind of nuts. Like at one point, um, her her husband Fotis, uh, he was like brought into court because him and his girlfriend were seen slowly driving down the street the day of Jennifer's disappearance and like dropping stuff into the storm drains. Yep. Like crazy town. I mean, it's like it's utter madness. Yeah. Someone's going to make a really good crime documentary about this. Like, I just don't even. Anyway, okay. It has to be a six-parter because there's so much fucking crazy shit. 
it like feels a little bit like a Coen Brothers movie, you know? It like, does. It does. It's just so and absurd. That, and then the attorney this week. Yeah, Photos all right. So let's talk Dulos, about that. Photos Dulos ex-lawyer Kent Mawinney is arrested in relation to the Jennifer Dulos missing person slash murder case. And apparently he allegedly dug a makeshift grave for her. Yeah, and it's like kind of yeah. wild because so I mean, Winnie, M- mm. Winnie, I don't even know how to say his name. Uh, so, unfortunate last name. Uh, so he like uh. it sounds like he founded kind of like a shooting club range, uh, the Windsor so Rotting Gun yeah. Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, uh, so apparently, like in the lead up to this, he'd had some sort of like conversation about a hidden key that would like get him onto the property um at like weird times because he's like no longer a member of the club and um so what else um his cell phone records also put him near um the site uh where (laughs) it sounds like just this like random club member um named jim um laulor he uh, found yep. this hole that was like two feet wide, six feet long, three feet deep, and uh, he said, "quote a hundred percent a human grave." Well, because there was also blue tarps and two bags of lime. Yeah, near the hole. Yeah, and oh. so he like he's like kind of dopey. He's like, <laughs> I don't really know, whatever. But then when he was like reading the news, he's just like, "Oh, is this about that woman who disappeared?" Yeah. He's a murderino, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. He was just like found this hole and he's like, mm, that's interesting. And then like the next day, he's just like, oh. Yep. Uh, but yeah, yep. so Mawinney is like totally being like nailed for digging this grave uh, for photos uh, to use. Mm-hmm. So I, also, the phone records reflect that photos called... Mawinney, while he and his girlfriend were dumping the evidence. Well, you got to coordinate that stuff, you know. I mean. And what uh, was it? Okay, so he said, so Mawinney's defense for these cell phone records is is that he had suffered a concussion after falling down the stairs on May 25th, and it broke his phone. Right. Right. And so his, like, phone was broken, so he didn't receive any of these calls or whatever. Meanwhile, uh, Mawinney was busted last year after photos reached out to his, uh, to Mawinney's estranged wife, uh, offering up a room in his house. And Mawinney has also been arrested for violating a protective order put place in his own divorce. <laughs> yeah, he's a piece of shit. Um, he allegedly sexually assaulted his wife. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. And Mawinney is representing Fotis in... Uh, this is super bizarre. So Fotis is suing his wife's mother... For two point five million dollars, yeah, like his dead wife. Mm-hmm. And so Mawinney is the lawyer that's like representing him on that. It's such a piece of shit. 
I was like, they have some sort of like weirdo like Connecticut mafia going on. Like, what is happening? I, I would also like to point out that um, just before Fotis's arrest this week for murder, he filed to have his divorce case dismissed due to inactivity for the last six months. Mm. Let's not forget the reason for inactivity is <laughs> that she's dead. And he's the prime suspect. Super. I mean. This is kind of going to be an interesting trial, though. Oh, God. We got to follow this one. Like, the yeah, evidence is so start. silly. I, it's like, they've got him dead to rights. Her DNA is on a slew of items uh, that were found in or near his car, his house. He's just seven million dollars in debt, and their kids have a trust fund totaling two million that Jennifer's parents actually control. So, mm-hmm. like, they've got him dead to rights. He's this is we're not talking about criminal masterminds here. I feel like that uh, if he went to prison, he would become friends with Robert Durst. Mm-hmm. They're both on Crazy like the Uncle. same level of stupid. Crazy Uncle Robert. <laughs> yes. Maybe he should hire Dick DeGaron. My God. <sighs> For Christ's oh. sake. Uh, well, we're wrapping up our show. Do you want to talk about Trump or do you want some M- MTA? Uh, do some MTA. I'll cover impeachment next week when I'm flying solo, girl. It's not going away. It ain't going away. Okay, so um, <laughs> the MTA are also kind of dumbasses. What? I, I, you know what? I'm glad we have a subway, but quite fucking frankly, where does all the money go? All right. So um, the MTA has removed 298 trains from the subway system. This is costing $635 million. Yes. Do you know why? I was listening. Yeah. Well, yeah, you go ahead and tell, but I've been, I listen to New York One every morning. Uh-huh. It's been a thing. Oh, my God. All right. So apparently these trains. The doors just randomly pop open. So it's like, the, you know how, like, the signs always say, like, don't lean on the doors? This is one of my, like, deepest fears, is that a door is going to randomly pop open. Well, it happens. Go flying out. And so, like, there's been door malfunctions. <laughs> I was actually, I think, on one of these trains, and the door malfunctioned, but I, didn't, I was just like, oh, whatever, it's just shitty subway. So it's like, at least in my case, what I saw was, was that they pop open, like, about, like, an inch, and they pop close, they pop open again, and they pop close. But it's like, while well, the train's moving. And I'm that's like, that's awkward. A little frightening. If you're standing near the door, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so it was like there was like a pretty egregious incident recently, and so the subway has removed all of these trains to fix it. Um. And these trains, um, are going to be affecting the A, C, J, and Z lines. So you know, just like half of New York. Yeah. Um, it does explain a few things on the JM stops have been kind of weird. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. And so one of the MTA people also accused, uh, the train, it's like, it was designed for a robot. And so another issue that, uh, Well, okay, okay, so to be fair, another issue that they're having is is that so the conductors of the subway like live in this little room and um 
part of like subway security is you need to check to make sure that the do- doors have closed properly. So there's like mm-hmm. this uh, thing that they're supposed to lean out of their window and like point to. And one of the reasons they do that is so they can look and make sure that it is the subway is like safe to go and you know that none of the doors are open, nobody's like stuck, no one has like bounced off the train. You know, but in order to stand up and point and like see that uh, bar, see that sign that they need to point to, uh, they have like a little like step that kind of helps them. But the step on these new trains is a two and a half inch edge. And uh, they also say that the window latch that they have to, um, you know, like kind of like reach over. Uh, juts yep. out into their chests and necks and is very uncomfortable. And so it's kind of like between the awkward edge and the subway window, like a ton of these MTA staff have been like falling off and getting hurt. Mm. And so it's like whoever like designed this clearly like never had someone like stand and try to do it. So the oh, MTA God. employees are like threatening a strike basically like they've signed this petition um 150 employees signed this letter to mta management on thursday and so it's kind of like between the employees being unhappy and the train doors just bouncing open and throwing people off that's an exaggeration no one's been thrown off but you know it could happen it could happen uh the mta is just like all right fine you win we'll just you know take them off the service um, let me remind you that it is 298 trains. Yeah. Well, there was this whole back and forth this week, too, about who's at fault. So the MTA is blaming the people that they bought the cars from. The people that made sent the cars down to the MTA are blaming the people that made the doors. Ah. Uh... Oh, and then apparently the MTA, when the New York Post called them, has denied any sort of engineering defect, even though the Post got a report outlining the engineering defect. Oh, sure. From, like, an MTA whistleblower. We are in a Trumpian, dystopian era where it's just deny, deny, deny. It just feels so corrupt. It has to be corrupt. Where does the money go? Like, literally, where the fuck... Why do you keep raising... Why, why isn't anything fixed and you just keep charging us more money to take the train? What the hell is happening? You know what I want to do? I really want to do an episode where we bring in, like, a Post or Daily News transportation reporter. And we're just like, so, what's going on with the MTA? And just listen to them because it's like... There's, like, so much stuff to go through. And then also this affects the lives of literally every single person in the city. Every single person that lives in, in metropolitan NYC is affected by this stuff. Constant delays, constant bullshit. 300 cars out of service on four different lines. That means that you're paying, waiting at least five more minutes for each train during rush hour. After like five take, minutes is a lot. I have to like take deep breaths to. Uh... This enrages me. Jesus it's like. Christ, what the. Where the fuck does the money go? I feel like we should change our show to Train Talk, BK. <laughs> Where the fuck does the money go? But yes, yeah. corruption, BK. Anyway, 
Um, I think that's... Oh, and also the MTA is suing an amateur map, ma- map maker for copyright infringement. Uh, there's this guy who makes these, like, New York City subway maps, like, custom-made, and he sells them on Etsy. And he does them for, like, a whole bunch of cities. This is just, like, his weird hobby. 140 different, um, like, map options, you know, for all around the world. That's what they're going to put their money into? I know. That's where the money goes. That's some bullshit. It's like the churro lady and, like, map guy. I can't. I can't with that. As someone who works in copyright law, that is some fucking bullshit. So, anyway. Okay. On that note, I'm going to stop raging. (laughs) Um, Well, it's actually, I think, time for us to go. Um, But thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Crime Talk BK. Um, Please listen in uh, next week. We're every Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon. I am going to be at um, the Creating Change Conference in Dallas. Um, Yay, hanging out with a bunch of there. really badass queer activists. Gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Gotta go to the double wide bar when you're down there. Go to the what? The double wide bar. I am not gonna have time. Oh well, if you do, if you find yourself with time, I recommend it. There's like so much stuff I want to do in Dallas, and it's like a work trip, and I'm just gonna be. I almost asked if I could, like, come back it. a day late so I could just hang out with people. Yeah, the aquarium is also worth it. And the go at least see the giant eyeball. What? There's a giant eyeball in downtown Dallas. Oh, Lord. All right. <laughs> <laughs> giant eyeball. So Maybe eyeball. I'll have to, like, write that down. Maybe we can all take a field trip to see it. All I, right. Uh, look, my ex-boyfriend lived in Dallas. That's how I know. I don't, I don't need to go back. Well, anyway, um, thank you for joining us on Crime Talk BK. Um, Tune in next week. Bye. Later, Dave.